Hey everyone, this is Sab and we are live in Dubai. On this episode, we have very special guests. We're going to talk about music entertainment and we're going to talk about disruptions. So when you're talking about disruption, we're going to talk about the founder of disruptions and connecting East and West. So let's say together, welcome to our special guest, the founders of 88 Rising and Thriller. Welcome Jason to Dubai. Yeah, what's good, man? How you doing? I think it's very, very special day to have you with us today because it's been like a, a while get this opportunity and especially like we are inspired by your new we call it disruption system so can you please tell us like and yourself to our audience yeah what's good man what's up dubai this is jason ma it's my first time in the city it's beautiful this is the future this is like some crazy babylon 5 star wars bar scene out here and like everyone's from another country another nationality and it's all right here and it's it's futuristic it's It's, it's really, really amazing here. I'm really inspired. Um, thankful to be here. I think this is exactly what you was actually uh, dreaming, you know, when you're starting um, your foundation and entertainment, to make an actually cultures connecting people and not like medias or like they are defining this. So tell us more about the foundation, how you're starting like your own things. Take us back to, to school, you know, time. How sure. actually find yourself in this space? In the media entertainment space? Yes. Well, you know, I've, I've shared the story in interviews and, and speeches before, but when I was seven, um, my dad asked me what I want to be when I grow up. So I took out a white piece of paper, some crayons, and I drew three pictures of myself. And uh, one was me in a business suit with a tie and a suitcase. The second picture was me with a French Pierre cap and a paintbrush and a paint palette. And the third was me behind a pulpit with a crucifix behind me preaching. Yes. And my dad was like, what's this? And I was like... Dad, Monday through Friday, I want to be a businessman like you. I said, Saturday, I'm going to be an artist. But Sunday, I'm going to be a preacher. And he was like, what? And he was like, you smart Alec. And uh, I was seven years old. But, you know, 30 years later, um, I was able to experience each of those passions and each of those callings in different periods of my life. Um, so that's kind of where it all started as a seven-year-old with some crayons and a piece of paper and a vision. Um, but I always say, you know, a vision isn't a reality unless you put, you know, action to it. And so I was able at a young age to just start hustling. You know, I didn't grow up with much. I grew up in the Bay Area and, um, you know, I actually had a run in. I was I was on my way to jail, got kicked out of three high schools and on my way to my fourth I found Jesus. And um, it was around then that, you know, I should have went to jail for grand theft. But by the grace of God, the judge just dropped all the charges on me, even though. I pleaded guilty, which is never possible, but he saw, I guess, my life and my heart change. And so I didn't take that for granted. And I was like, you know, I, I want to do something good with my life. I want to give back to young people. I want to give young people, you know, a second chance like I was given. And so I started a hip hop Bible study. That's how I tried to get kids to church yes. uh, was hip hop because I was uh, B-boying, yeah. DJing, MCing. I mean, I'm, I'm older, so I grew up on Yo! MTV Raps. You know what I'm saying? I grew up on BT, all that. But if you guys don't even know, Sway and King Tech, yeah. you know, KML 106, like literally radio battles, hieroglyphics, hobo. You guys don't even know some of the underground hip hop West Coast that I grew up on. But yeah, man, I, so I started this Bible study and I was like, yo, you guys come to this church that's empty on Tuesday nights, come and study the Bible for an hour. And afterwards, the auditorium's yours. And so they would just b-boy and DJ to the late night. And then MC Hammer, uh, he started preaching at this big church down the road. So I come listen to him every Sunday night speak. It was MC Hammer, right? Talking to 3,000 men. And I was like, this is the craziest thing ever. And uh, once a year we do a hip hop outreach, but I was working at a tech startup 
uh, right out of high school. And uh, when I met Hammer, I was like, yo, I I really would love for you to come speak at this event. It's a hip hop outreach for the inner city youth. And he was like, yo, I'm down to do it. And I guess he kind of just looked at me and just kind of saw something in my eyes. And he was just like, so what do you do? And I was like, I work at this tech startup across from Apple in Cupertino. And he was like, I invest in startups. He goes, you're Asian. You must know how to use computers. Come work for me. I was like, what? MC Hammer? <laughs> so I quit my job next day and I became his personal assistant. That's how I got started in the whole, the whole hip hop music game. And I think your story is even more uh, inspiring because we're always talking about like persistent and never give up. Because maybe people, if they see only the outline, they think it's just easy. It's just like you was driving and then MC Hammer meet you. But actually you was kind of trying to reach out many times, like six months. And That's right. To, to actually, you build your own opportunity. So it's not easy. Yeah, I mean, I tried to hustle. I tried to get in touch with him for six months, and I was getting nowhere. He had security. He had you know all these staffs around him. But I just kept pushing and pushing, and I literally was like, if I don't get a hold of him by the next week, I'm just going to have to go without him. But I kind of just left it in God's hands, and I remember this one uh, pastor at the church, he, I just kept nagging the dude like every Sunday night, like, yeah. Pastor Daryl, yes. get this message to Hammer. And I think he kind of felt bad for me and then finally came through and got me that meeting. And that meeting changed my life. Uh, Hammer became my mentor. He became my dad, you know, in many ways uh, in the game, That's in really, the game of life. That's really amazing game of life, you know, because life is all about manifestation, you know, which is like be clear of what you want and then think follow it together. Well, what's crazy about Hammer is he's all those three things I drew in my picture when I was seven, right? He's a businessman. I mean, without Hammer, there wouldn't be hip-hop as a business. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Hammer made hip-hop a business. He made it pop culture. He was the first one with his own fashion line, with his own lunch pail, with his own cartoon. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, with his own, you know, entire touring squad and, and, and everything that he did was entrepreneurial, right? So he was a businessman, but he was also an artist, yeah. but then he was also a preacher, yes. right? And so he was actually a minister before he was MC Hammer. He started the first Christian hip-hop rap group called the Holy Ghost Boys in East Oakland. And then from there, he was actually going to study to be a minister, but his wife was like, you know, at the time was like, don't waste this gift that God's given you to dance. Yeah. You need to be hammered. You got you to do hammer time. And then that's what happened, and that's wow. how, how, it all, how it all worked out. This is an amazing story, Jason, because I believe you was actually in the same position with MC Hammer when you've been choosing to go to Hollywood. So you asked him the questions about if I go around to Hollywood or should I go, like, continue my study? And I want to share this story with our audience. Well, it was crazy because, uh, you know, Hammer and I, you know, we were early in venture capital, meaning, you know, he had a partner named Ron Conway. They were best friends. Ron was the godfather of Silicon Valley, SV Angels. And so we were very early stage. I remember taking him to, to YouTube's office when it was five people in San Mateo above a pizza parlor, you know, Twitter when it was like three, four people. And so we saw the whole revolution and I got to see the disruption of digital media, social media, as we know today. And he was like, Jason, Hollywood's going down, music industry's going down. This is 1997. Yeah. He was like Bluetooth, wireless. He's like, Fiber optics, rich content, digital distribution, Hollywood's coming to Silicon Valley. And I just thought, I don't know what he was talking about, but 20 years later, what controls Hollywood? Well, it's Netflix, it's Amazon, it's Google, it's Facebook. And he was 100% right with his prophecy. But, you know, we ended up investing in Justin Lin's first film. And if you don't know who Justin Lin is, 
He's a director for the Fast and Furious franchise from 3, 4, 5, and 6, and now 9 and 10. But at the time when Hammer met him at CES, I think it was 99 or 2000, you know, they were checking out high-tech cameras. And Justin was like, yo, Hammer, it's an honor to meet you. And he was like, I'm at, you know, I, I'm just sick and tired of Asians being represented incorrectly, our culture in mainstream Hollywood media you know, geishas and goonies and geeks and gangsters. And he was like, I want to make my own film. It's independent. It's going to be about a real story based out of Orange County on this Asian American high school murder. And can I get your contact? Mm -hmm. Same thing. He hustled Hammer and literally like three months later, he calls Hammer and he's like, I maxed out 10 credit cards. My parents can't lend me any more money. They're going to take away all my equipment in the morning. My movie's going to go to nothing. Like, I don't know who else to call. Hammer, can you help me? And I remember Hammer just Literally in that hour, walked to the bank, wired him the cash, didn't even look back, nothing signed. And a year later, I'm literally in the office like this on a laptop. And it's like Roger Ebert gives two thumbs up at Sundance Film Festival to young Asian American director Justin Lin. I was like, yo, Hammer, is this the dude that we gave money to? And he was like, I thought he ran away. And I was like, no, he calls up Justin. Justin's like freaking out. And that was the first movie for Sung Kang, who's the Korean actor lead in Fast and Furious that dies and comes back every franchise. That was the first movie for John Cho, Harold and Kumar, Star Trek. And, you know, at that time when I saw that film, it was the first time I seen my culture, East Asian culture, represented in a Hollywood film the right way, right? Outside of Bruce Lee and like Joy Club at the time, 20 years before Crazy Rich Asians. And I was like, yo, this is so fire. This is so dope. I was like, I want to represent my culture, Asian culture, and mainstream media the right way so I can correct false perceptions and stereotypes and judgments, you know, upon who we are as a people. And I knew at that time it was going to be through media. So I told Hammer, I want to go to Hollywood. I want to go and study film and television, go to UCLA or USC. And he's like, go for it. And then I told my Chinese pastor, I feel like God's calling me to Hollywood. He says, that's not God. That's Satan talking to you. (laughs) And so I was like, what? He's like, nah, you got to go do third world missions and go to third world countries and do God's work and serve the poor. And I'm like, nah, you're tripping. And so I remember I was 4 a.m., in Fremont, in the studio, me and Hammer that night. And I said, Hammer, I don't know what I should do. You know, I got Hollywood in one hand. I got literally Third World Missions in the other. And he was like, Jason, look, if you go to Hollywood right now, the spiritual state you're in, those demons will eat you up. You won't come out alive. If I were you, build your character, do God's work, you know, serve the poor. And if God sends you back to Hollywood, we'll still be there. Don't worry about it. So I was like, you know what? That sounds like wisdom to me. So I ended up, you know, doing mission work in five years in 40 countries and uh, went around the world and, you know, got to do God's work. And it was amazing, you know, literally slept in bushes and, 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 and helped the poor and built schools and started churches on universities. And, but, you know, when I came back around 2006, at the end of my, my missionary, you know, uh, service, you know, I remember I was in Southern China and I'm seeing kids with smartphones, palm trios, blackberries at the time. And then kids are out partying at the clubs. And I was like, yo, I can't reach them fast enough, you know what I'm saying, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. building physical churches, right? Uh, and I was just like, I got to go where they're at, which is mobile, yeah. which is digital, which is media. And that's when I transitioned. And then I started my next company or my first company, Media Entertainment, in the East-West space. And uh, that's what led me to where I am now as an entrepreneur. This is very inspiring, Jason. You know, And also, like, you highlight a very uh, strong point about uh, uh, MC Hammer, which is mix as well of the three pain that you remember when you was a kid, you know? At the same time, we have few people who are seeing the potential in a person. Because when he met, like Justin Lee was just like fresh graduate, you know? Right. And do independent movies a better luck tomorrow. So he see the visions, what he can be the potential of this director. And the same time, also you're talking about like, um, he just even give him uh, investment even without paper, you know? So 
what can what is that life lesson that you learned from that opportunity i've learned to always be open and i've learned to never not listen um to someone that has a story and a dream to tell so you know hammer gave me a chance he gave justin a chance and then you and then you see now Justin paying it forward, right? He gave Sung Kang a chance, he gave John Cho a chance, and then Jason Tobin now in Cinemax Warrior and and so many more others and just inspired. And so for me, it was always just like, you know what, if 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 someone bless me, hopefully I can bless somebody else. And that's what I've done with my companies. Just try to create platforms that give young people a voice who might not have had one before. And that's what 88 Ryzen and Triller and all these other companies that I've been involved in, you know, we've been able, thankfully, to, to do. 100%. And also we have a very amazing story as well. Jason, you are an artist as well, hip-hop artist. And you was also making music before and even to now with a mixtape. And that time also you have Fusion discovering Far East movement as well, you know, and Plan C management. So take us, like, also how you shift as well on that vertical with Far East movement. And the story of Bruno Mars as well. So, like, yeah, I mean, me as an artist, I mean, look, you know, uh, like I said, I'm older now. I, I do it. I still, I still, I still, you know, spit bars, you know, when I feel like it. But um, at that time, you know, I was coming out of ministry and then I invested in this company, PCA, which is still one of the top Asian American marketing entertainment agencies in the West Coast. Yeah. And, um, and at the time, this little company was managing a rap group that nobody knew about called Far East Movement, yeah. right? And, and there were four Asian Americans from K-Town, you know, just like tearing it up. But at the time, still not famous or popular. And then there was another rapper that you might have heard of, Jin, yeah. who was the battle rapper, the Asian Eminem that DMX, yeah. beat out 106 and Park seven Fridays in a row, got signed to DMX. But when I had met him at the time, uh, he was no longer with DMX and yeah. he was you know, kind of at the second phase of his career, not sure where he was going to go. So I just, I just felt like there was something about this company. And so I invested and the vision was originally to bridge East and West, go on YouTube directly and, and build content with Asian artists. Yeah. And, uh, and so funny enough, you know, Kev Nish, the leader of Far East was like, yo, Jay, I'm listening to your hip hop. And I was doing Christian, Christian rap. And he was like, you know, your raps are aight. <laughs> He's like, it's not like, you're not Jay-Z, you're not Eminem, and you're Asian. Yeah. We're trying to figure out, like, what's our angle? And he was like, but you know when you, like, preach, it's, like, really powerful. He's like, you ever thought about just, like, preaching or praying over the, over the music? I was like, what do you mean, like, talking? And he was like, you got any of your sermons on YouTube? And I was like, yeah, I got a ton of sermons on YouTube. He's like, play one of your sermons on YouTube over that beat your friend just gave you and just see what happens. And so I played my sermon over the beat, and it just lands in this crazy cadence and then Kev is like, yo, look at my hair standing up. And he was like, holy. He was like, you're like Eminem and Joel Osteen, like smashed into one. Yeah. And he was like, yo, can you just spit like off the top of your head? I was like, like preach? And he was like, I was like, of course. He's like, so we go into the studio the next night. I, I lace three verses, one take freestyle, spoken word preaching. And he was like, this is crazy. And he was like, we need to get someone to sing on the hook that's going to make it more radio friendly, more pop, right? He's like, yo, I was like, who you got? He's like, I got this one dude. He sounds like Michael Jackson, man. And he was like, you know, he needs the money right now. And I was like, what's his name? He's like, his name's Bruno Mars. I was like, who's Bruno Mars? He was like, check out his MySpace. This is back in the day when we had MySpace. And I was like, damn, he sounds like Michael Jackson. I was like, how much? So he literally calls up Bruno 
on the spot. And he's like, yo, I got a package deal. I was like, how much? He was like, he'll, he'll, he'll write and record you four songs for 1500 bucks US. Mm. So I was like, done. So I literally took out my checkbook to Bruno Mars. I still have it, check stub. Yeah. He came in the studio, laced me the tracks, wrote them, recorded them. And that one track we did, Love, we launched it months later and it literally just went to a million views overnight. Yeah. You know, hit the Christian hit, you know, music charts on Amazon at the time. And I was like, what's going on? And yeah. of course, six months later, around then, uh, Far East recorded like a G6 yeah. one night. Yes. And, and in the Cataract's basement, put it on YouTube, got millions of views overnight. Next thing you know, get a phone call from Interscope, Cherry Tree, Jimmy Iovine, and 15 million records later, goes number one, first Asian-American hip-hop crew ever to hit number one, the Billboard, never been heard or seen before. We sent Jin on a one-way ticket to Hong Kong with a Cantonese rap album called ABC. Didn't know what was going to happen. He blows up, become the big, he becomes the biggest rapper in China today, yeah. MC Jin. And then, of course, Bruno, we know where that went. He goes out the stratosphere, gets signed to Atlantic, and he goes number one. He's half Filipino and Asian. And so it was crazy. It was like this year where all of a sudden... Two, three different Asian American artists hit number one on the global mm-hmm. Billboard number one, number one mm-hmm. charts. Yeah. And it had never been done before. And so it was kind of like an Asian American renaissance. And it was kind of like what happened with Better Luck Tomorrow in film, yeah. but in music. Yes. And so at that moment, you know, we were proud of what we built. And we truly were bridging East and West, but bringing our culture into mainstream culture, but in an authentic, original way. We weren't copying anybody. We were doing it the way we were doing it. And everyone was making original music. And I think that's the key for being an artist. You got to come original. You can't sound like everybody else. 100%, right? Yeah. You got to do you and you got to come correct. And I think that's the key when it comes to expressing culture yeah. is how do you express your culture through your unique personality yeah. and do it at the highest level? And then the world will respond. I think at this point you highlight a very important point because you are talking about like a big issue right now. We have it in the regions and in other places like um, out of US and Europe, which is like we call it like the artist definition. Because remember, like if the artist from, for example, from the region here sings in English and sings hip hop, the first comment will be like, "You like want sound like US arts and everything," but the hip hop is international. So right. how we can correct this mindset from you sound like to be like it's normal to to, to do like. To sound like this because it's, this is culture. Well, I mean, like, just being real with you, on the car ride here, I was like, you know, you're playing me some artists, and they they were dope, and they, but they sound like what I'm hearing with Travis Scott or what this I'm hearing, yeah. you know, what I'm saying with Lil Pump or whatever it is, right? Or Trippy Red. Yeah. But I immediately asked you because all the songs you were playing for me, they were rapping and singing in English, and yeah. I was like, is there anyone that? raps or sings or makes music you know hip-hop in arabic culture arabic yeah. language and you're like oh of course yeah and then you immediately showed me those songs at 600 million views and i'm listening to it and i'm like yo this is fire yeah. you know what i'm saying this is fire because culture is always about bringing your culture into music yeah. right and how do you use music or hip-hop to express your culture's sound your mm-hmm. culture's taste, your culture's perspective, your culture's values, your culture's message, your culture's food, your culture's fashion. You know what I'm saying? And so that is where I think is the opportunity is that you got 300 million population in the Middle East or Northern Africa region. And there's more YouTube, Instagram penetration here than anywhere else in the world. Right. And you still don't have 
Music scene. You're Justin Bieber. You're you're Drake. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, you know, shout out to DJ Khaled. Shout out to Ghazi and Empire. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and 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 the ones that have literally gone to you know the global level. But I think there's so many people here and such a huge population. It's the same way when we started 88 Rising. We're like, look, Asia, East Asia is two billion people. Like, how can we not have our own? digital media platform that promotes our own artists and create a culture and industry out of that. And I think that is the opportunity here. I would be making music in both Arabic and English, mix it up, you know, like we did with Higher Brothers, you know what I'm saying? Like we did with Lexi. Like, I think that is where it's at. That's fire to me. It's like when you bring your own culture into music, into hip hop and express it, that's authentic, that's real, and that's dope. I think, yeah, you're right, because actually the... The, uh, the, there is many artists that benefit from the Arabic cultures and the region of the Middle East here. Like, for example, like uh, Jay Z, you know, Big Pamping, and also like um, um, uh, Drake, recent track as well, he was singing in Arabic. And so, there is many, because we inspire from each other because this is humanity. So, music is just only one label. But I think the most important <coughs> part right now, we're going to go for the next question, which is like what 88 uh, doing and what we are doing here from VVIP, which is like, we have music, we have cultures, and we need to solve one big problem, it's called like local to global. Because if we cannot fix this problem local to global, then it's, we have product, we have artists, but we cannot sell it. And sure. I think this is where it comes to the next questions. I want to tell us about like, what is the story foundation of 88 Rising and where it starts from? Well, I mean, 88 was exactly that challenge, right? Was that there were a lot of Asian artists in Asia um, but they did not have a global platform or global voice or global recognition. Yeah. And for us, the reality was major labels like Sony, Warner, Universal, they were only going to sign Asian artists for the local region. Yes. They would never sign Asian artists for the U.S. Yes. or the major industry of Hollywood. And so for us, I was like, you know what? We're just going to have to do it ourselves. So I raised our own, my own capital, right? And Sean at the time was at Vice. I said, yo, come and join and let's start this together yeah. right and and whatever you did advice do it here i'll bring the capital i'll bring the strategy i'll bring the relationships and it worked out that way and at that time i still remember i raised two and a half million dollars from third wave ventures alan double at the time and he had put checks into mitu which was a latin american digital media channel all deaf digital which was an african-american digital media channel and then he had invested into maker studios and machinima and i was like what about asia he's like what about asia i was like he was like if you put together a team and a plan i'll write the first check and so I was like, done. And that's when my buddy Justin Chan, the director, introduced me to Sean. Yeah. And I was like, yo, I already got a term sheet in hand. You got to leave your job and let's go do this. And so we came together and then I raised capital from Steve Chen, founder of YouTube in Silicon Valley, and then Luminary out of Hong Kong, and then Spark Labs Global out of South Korea, and then GDP Ventures, which is our now largest shareholder out of Indonesia. And I did that strategically. I was like, I want investors from every part of East Asia. So... Yeah. Greater China, South Korea, Southeast Asia, SF, LA, Silicon Valley, Silicon Beach. And that was a seed round. And so that I knew once we launched the channel and launched the platform and launched the artist, we would get support, right, from our backers in those regions. It was strategic. And then when we did our Series A, it was WPP. And then we had Sumitomo from Japan and now Bike Dance and Billy Billy and, you know, Jimmy IV. So for me, my point is, is that it was all strategic meaning that 
if no one's going to help you, you got to help yourself. Mm -hmm. If no one's going to do it for you, you got to do it yourself. Mm -hmm. And at this time in 2015, you had YouTube, you had Instagram, you had Facebook, you had social media and China where Weibo, WeChat. And so for me, it was like there was nothing stopping us from being able to distribute. The key was one, getting resources and capital, having the right management, okay, and the team. But then you got to find dope artists, artists that are global standard. Like, so we were like, okay, we found Keith Ape at the time and Ichima fully in Japanese and Korean. And it was antithetical, right, to K-pop. It was exact opposite. But white kids, black kids, brown kids, yellow kids in the States were like, yo, what is this? This is the craziest, hardest trap hip hop we've ever heard, Mm -hmm. right? And so we took that, exported it into the West because it was better than the trap music that was being played in the States at the time, right? And then we saw Rich Brian, which was Rich Chick at the time, and I literally thought he was like an Asian Slim Jesus, didn't know if he was for real. Dumbfounded recommended the video. And I saw him when I was in New York with Sean and we're listening to it, and he was like, yo, this isn't a joke, listen to him spit. And so we reached out to him, we're like, yo, we're gonna take you and what you've done, because you actually got skills, and let's bring this global. And so we created the Ghostface Killer remix, and you know, it was just a lot of ingenuity that was intentional, but the key was, like I said, we had our own capital. We had a a knowledgeable and experienced management team. We had talent that was at a global level of excellence, Mm -hmm. and then we created content that was truly premium. It looked better than content on Vice. It looked better than content that major labels were putting out there, right? So when we put out the music, it wasn't just about being Asian. It was just great music. It was just great content, right? It was just great artistry. And it happened by default to be Asian, right? And I think that was where people were like, yo, 88 Rising, you know, that's where it's at because they're making the best music out there. I think yeah, this is uh, um, very right when you said about this because I think uh, traditional media are being filtering the potential of the artists and only filter uh, putting for us all the arts are funded and it's like they don't go based on the taste of the audience, you know. And I think like the role of 88 Rising, which is like they are bringing new breed of music and artists that are actually originals and maybe bigger potential than other artists. Even like when you see today, Richard Bryan transformation, it's like kind of dream come true, you know. And uh, we're seeing uh, the reaction video for other rapper that actually approving his music. So, um, do you feel, from the example, for example, of Rich Brian, we can uh, we can replicate the same experience with the arts from Middle East here, or arts from North Africa, or other arts from the region here, and having artists going local to global? Absolutely. You know, it's already happening. Look at look at reggaeton. Look what's going on with Daddy Yankee and Jay yes. Balvin and look at Ozuna. Like, they're taking over the globe yeah, with the music. Rabbit, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Look at Afrobeats. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Most of Drake's inspiration today is coming from African hip-hop, from yeah. Afrobeats and, and the vibe and the music and the whole thing. And so, again, you got to bring your culture yeah. authentically through, whether it's hip-hop, whether it's R&B, whether it's EDM, whether it's country, whether it's jazz, it doesn't matter what the genre of the music expression is, yeah. it's are you authentically bringing your culture to that expression yeah. and, and communicating that at the highest level, that right? Sense, and yeah. are you being the best version of your culture yeah. to the world through your music? And yeah. I think that's the key, absolutely. Yeah, and also I want to, to highlight another point which is helping other like startup and founders who are watching our show, which is, the breaking point about that first C drum because I, I remember like 
when he was pitching the investor and you know, trying to explain to them what is your vision, there is no like a, a role model in your vertical. He was just sure. an innovator, you know. So when he trying to tell them first time, he was mentioning about Vice, and I, I want to bring that story for sharing with our audience here. Well, I mean, at the time, there was no comparable yes. for an Asian youth culture focused digital media channel and platform. Yeah. Yeah. The closest thing was Vice, yes. right? And Vice had its own label, but that wasn't what drove Vice, right? But we really want to be more like a next generation digital Asian MTV, right? Yeah. But instead of cable and TV, because kids aren't watching TV, it's got to be mobile. It's got to be YouTube. It's got to be digital. And so at the time, though, there was no comparison. And it was like Asian digital music channel. What? So I literally went to the investors. and I was like, you ever heard of Vice? And they're like, yeah, we've heard of Vice. I said, have you recognized and realized what their latest valuation is? And they're like, looking it up, like, oh, 5.5 billion. I was like, yeah, we're the Asian Vice. We're called Rice. But it was spelled at the time R-Y-C-E. And the only reason why I said rice was because I needed to have them connect as investors. Oh, vice, five billion, rice, even more because Asia is just a bigger market, right? We were never going to call the company rice. But for pitch meetings, I had to use that in order to get that venture capital in. And eventually we turned it into 88 Rise. This is so powerful, you know, because I see like uh, from your perspective, uh, seed round for you is not only just about money, you are actually more focused about smart money and actually strategic. So from the start, you have very strategic uh, tactics. So it's not just only about money. Correct. Does it make a big difference in terms of Absolutely. I mean, your investor, you can either have bad investors, you can have smart investors. You know, and so for me, it's always bringing in strategic capital, smart capital. It's not about dumb money. I don't want someone sitting on my board that doesn't care about the mission and the purpose of what we're trying to build. Right. And so I think whenever you're raising money, anyone has money. There's money everywhere. Right. There's money falling off of trees. We're in Dubai. You know what I'm saying? There's money, you know, literally falling out of the sky. You know what I'm saying? But the key is. Can you get money that really understands your vision, yeah. understands your purpose, understands your product, and is willing to back you as a founder, right, all the way to the tilt, right? Yeah. And that was graciously and thankfully uh, the type of investors that I was able to bring in and later on uh, our team was able to bring in. Amen to that because I think uh, he's very right. So Dubai doesn't really have issues with funding. There's a lot of VC here. And even like last week was like the... Uh, Royal Families Office Investment Summit. So we have a lot of uh, investment opportunity. So if you want to really push your company or starting whatever you want to do, you need to find your relevant investor who understand your market and that way can be scaled because getting the wrong investor on your board is going to be a problem and that's going to be effective in the long term. So let's talk right now about East-West artists and East-West ventures. So how you go from being working with MC Hammer to become your own VC and start your own VC firm? So East-West Ventures originally was a talent management and, and really boutique advisory for media and entertainment between Asia and Hollywood. And so I originally started with Cher Wayne, the founder of HTC, my best buddy, Phil Chen, who was running all of HTC Silicon Valley investments. And at the time, HTC was 100 million handsets worldwide. They started their first Android phone. And she was like, Cher Wayne was like, you know, Jason, we can't do technologically more with a smartphone, but what we need is premium content, yeah. original content. That's what's gonna keep our clients on. And at the time I saw China beginning to open up and explode with their consumer entertainment market. And so I was seeing China in five years become the biggest entertainment consumer market in the world. And so I was like, yo, I know Hollywood's just gonna go wherever the numbers are and wherever the money is. So I was like, you know what? China's about to pour in hundreds of millions and billions into Hollywood 
And I have relationships in Hollywood. I have relationships in China and Asia. If we can catch that arbitrage, right, then we can actually build a business, but we focus it on our access to talent, on our access to stories and IP that no one else has access to. So we did over a billion in transactions over the last 10 years, and we started representing the biggest talent from Asia to Hollywood. I was able, thankfully, to bring Will and Jaden to Taiwan and Korea, Ashton Kutcher to China, and Michelle Rodriguez and all these others. And and it was really interesting. At that time, China was the rave, and, and, it, and it did become the biggest movie entertainment market in the world today, the biggest box office in the world today. China eclipses Hollywood in the U.S. now, yeah. right? And so at that time, we started doing those deals, and, 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 and it was around that time I was seeing, oh, wow, I represent this talent, and he has 100 million social following. I'm like, why isn't there a a platform to support. Yeah. And that was where 88 Rising hit. And then from 88 Rising, after I fully vested, I then started Stampede Ventures with Greg Silverman, the former president of Warner Brothers. And I saw the value of premium content yes. and Gideon Yu, the former CFO for Facebook and YouTube. And I was like, yo, premium's where it's at. It's yeah. no longer about the studios. It's about Netflix, Amazon, yeah. uh, Facebook, right? They're the ones spending billions on content. And there's only a few people that can make it at that level, like Greg Silverman, who optioned Harry Potter for $25,000 when 100 publishers passed on it <laughs> turned hangover into what it is when no one wants to do the role and found a new actor named bradley cooper who turned lego into a movie when everyone thought he was stupid yeah. turned batman 5 after Clooney when it was a disaster and gave a little director named christopher nolan a chance to create dark knight and he was like jason i want to leave warner i want to go build my own platform we want to own the ip 360 let's go buy mattel toys and then make the barbie and hot wheel movie and then we started stampede ventures so i raised and capital invested into that with Gideon. And we've now 50 movies and TV projects in just the first 24 months of existence. We're the hottest Hollywood studio in the world right now. Wow. And shout out, we wanna bring Stampede and Hollywood here to the UAE, to the Gulf region, because we believe this is gonna be the next Hollywood. Dubai, this is, this is where it's at. It's where all the countries and all the nationalities in the world are. It's where capital is, there's talent here, there's distribution, why not? And so, you know, from there, I just got lucky, you know, and I ended up investing in Musical.ly, which then became TikTok, yeah. right? And at the time, Musical.ly was just about to blow up. Yeah. Uh, but they didn't have any major music artists on it. And so I was working with a talent management company at the time called Entitled Entertainment that managed Ariana Grande. And because we were a new fund at the time and, and no one knew us on Silicon Valley, Sand Hill Road, I told the founders at Musical.ly, because they were like, ah, oh, we don't know if we want to take your money. I was like, look, I'm going to deliver you Ariana Grande, the biggest music artist in the world to use your platform. You better give us an allocation. Yeah. And so that's how I got the deal done. And shout out to you know my partners, Chihuahua and Eric at Goodwater Capital, uh, where we were able to get that deal done. And then I saw after Ariana, Selena, Justin, everyone started getting it and, and it scaled. And then it got bought by Bike Dance and became TikTok. Yeah. Same thing happened when I saw Triller was another opportunity where I was an advisor, you know, and it, it felt and looked like, you know, TikTok and Musical.ly, and I, so I understood the power of social videos, the next iteration of social media. Yeah. And then at that time, I started as an advisor, but then, you know, 2019, you started seeing early on, Chance the Rapper, Cardi B, Chris Brown, Eminem, everyone posting Triller videos, and it became something that was cool. Yeah. It was something that became part of culture, specifically in the hip-hop community. And at that time, I was like, wow, I've seen this story before, but it's with a different niche, right? Yeah. And I'm all about niches. I'm all about the blue ocean strategy, where it's like yeah. you focus on one thing first, and you focus on one niche, that can open up the door to everything else, right? And yeah. so with Triller, I got lucky again, and, and, and my partners, Ryan and Bobby, and, and, and uh, 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 a family office out of Taiwan called WTT were able to 
merge and, and acquire the company uh, late last year. <clears throat> and then, you know, sky's the limit since then. It's been amazing. This is really amazing. I feel so much inspired right now because it's, it's very like uh, inspiring to hear your story about breaking major deals and seeing the potential at the early stage. Because uh, you define right now, which is many people think like when you have the money and then you make it, you actually broken the rule. Of, it's not only about money. It's about connections, it's about strategies. So this is something really disrupting right now the technology space. And at the same time, I also like know that you are a big fan of comic as well. And you're breaking the deal for a dark, uh, dark horse, dark horse business. And you've been lucky and blessed to meet with the legendary Stanley. So tell us about that, that deal and what is what is mean for you, Stanley? Well, I think, look, you know, Stanley, you know, to, who doesn't look up to Stanley, right? He's a mentor for everybody. I was thankfully able to meet Stan, you know, multiple times and, and have conversations with him. And he had a big passion to make a Chinese superhero. And so I was like, yo, we got to make the first Chinese superhero, the first Asian superhero. And I think, you know, now that he's passed, that that legacy now lives on, right? To everyone can be a superhero. Yes. Everyone, you know what I'm saying, can have their own version of, of, of influence or someone they look up to. And so for me, you know, it's all about IP. It's all about story. The whole world is about telling stories. How do you preserve culture? It's through stories oh, yeah. at the dinner table, at the fireside chat, over cigars, over drinks. What's your story? Tell me your story. And so for me, that's what it's all about at the end of the day. Stories is about inspiration. It's about overcoming. It's about you know, taking on challenges and becoming champions. You know what I'm saying? It's about reconciliation. It's about uh, a sacrifice. It's about courage in the face of fear. You know, and I think that's what makes us love Hollywood is because Hollywood is the most powerful platform to tell human stories that inspires the mundane day to day. Everyone working nine to five to believe that there's something more to life. That there's, that there's purpose. And so for me, my next platform is going to be a storyteller platform. It's called Eastern Standard Time, EST. And that platform is going to be about IP. Whether you are a comic book writer or whether you're a journalist or whether you're an you know, aspiring director, what's your story? Yeah. All right? I'm going to give you an app where similar to TikTok controller, but instead of just doing dance videos and lip sync, Tell me your story. Tell me your story, yeah. Tell me your story. What's your movie trailer? What's your movie trailer in three minutes? Yeah. You know, and I'm going to give you the editing tools. I'm going to give you everything you need to tell that story wherever you are, whether you're in Dubai, or whether you're in Bahrain, or whether you're in Vietnam, or whether you're in Norway, or whether you're in New York or the Bronx. It doesn't matter. You have a microphone now, and that microphone's called your mobile iOS or Android. Yeah. And if you just go like this, you can tell your story, and you can go and inspire somebody that's going to go and maybe take your story and make it the next big Hollywood blockbuster. I want to talk about your huge uh, philosophy of, of um, business and especially like connecting the east and the west um, I think like uh, east connecting the east to west is a huge mission on your shoulder because um, nobody want to tap on that thing so, like everybody like when you see like a problem they just like hey I want to go from this side I don't want to go for problem you want to the major pain which is connecting east and west and I want to also to ask you about your mission at the same time as I mentioned to you earlier, it's like between the East and the West, there is the Middle East. So how we can involve the Middle East in that visions and how we can just creating disruption, double the effect of connecting the East to the West. Well, I look at the East as all of Asia Pacific into the Middle East, right? When I say Asia, 2.2 billion young people, it includes East Asia, all the way to South Asia, all the way to the Middle East Asia, yeah. right? And so we're all Asian. 
and 60% of the world's youth population is in Asia, yeah. okay? And that means whether you're from Tunisia or whether you're from Iran or you're whether you're from Dubai or whether you're from Hong Kong or whether you're from India or whether you're from Indonesia or you're from Mongolia or you're from Kazakhstan, this is Asia. We are the future. And so the future of the world is moving east, okay? And so as we know in 2020, post-pandemic, we're literally seeing the West fall apart. It's like the Roman Empire falling before our eyes. You know what I'm saying? Ooh, yeah. Like r- right now in the West, COVID's going up everywhere, right? You go to Asia right now, they're living life like it's completely normal, yeah, that, right? Yeah. They got it down, you know what I'm saying? And so, I, and look, nothing again, you know, someone will say, well, we're blaming on China. It's the Chinese virus, the Wuhan virus, whatever. It doesn't matter. Whatever happened, happened, but how's your response, yeah. right? And how are you responding to the challenge and the crisis? Crisis creates creativity. Challenges create champions. And I think right now what's happening is that the new leadership of the world is the rest of the world. Yeah. And that's where content Technology, business, politics, all of this future yeah. is moving east. Yeah. And so I think what's happening with everything that you've been inspired with 88 Rising, trying to do the 88 Rising out here, trying to do the Triller out here, you know what I'm saying? Like for me, that inspires me, right? Because I'm saying, wow, that I was able to be a part of a platform yeah. that inspired a young entrepreneur from Dubai, from Tunisia to go, yo. What you guys did out there in East Asia, we want to do it out here in West Asia. And I think absolutely, you got 100% of my support, and I absolutely believe in what you guys are doing, and I absolutely believe that the Middle East is absolutely central to the future leadership and conversation of the world. Thank you so much, Jason. Your words really mean a lot because we are on this mission and we're not going to stop till we make it happen. Because right now, before I was talking about like, like... like traditional media they're speaking about, but right now we have, uh, we call it like, data is new Because, yes, maybe they're talking about Asia, about China, about Middle East, or everything, but numbers peak. Because right now, Hollywood's the biggest ticket sellers in Asia, in Middle East cinemas, in China cinema. And that things like become like, what? How come like a movie made and shoot in US, and then the biggest seller is overseas? So we should look to that numbers and see the opportunities, even in terms of like concert and live show and everything. The most biggest seller right now is Asia and Middle East. So I think we need to see it not from the media perspective, but we see it from data perspective and new media. We don't have our own media here in the Middle East. We have only like corporate media, but I think building uh, honest and transparent media platform that show the real situation, that will help a lot. And this is why I want to ask the last question to end up this amazing interviews about like, what we can learn from your philosophy about uh, telling your story through contents and story, and the same time building the next media giant here that can actually representing the culture on bigger scale, because we need this. We have 300 million populations. It's not fair to be represented by Western media in a very negative way. Well, you know, my next media platform is called Eastern Standard Time, which is spelled acronym-wise EST, which is also pronounced EAST. And the whole vision and mission of this platform is to take everything I learned from 88 Rising, from Triller, and musically from Stampede and, and Dark Horse and Stan Lee, and giving a platform to Asian young people everywhere to tell their story directly from their own voice. And it doesn't exist right now. 
in the West controls the Eastern narrative. Fox, CNN, Washington Post, New York Times, you know, uh, uh, BBC, right? And there isn't a digital media brand or platform that represents Asian culture to the rest of the world on a global level. And so for me, is giving that microphone to the biggest population of the future, which is Asian youth. And that's called East. And that to me is East Asia as much as it is Middle East Asia, yeah. right? And so like you said, the data is there. It doesn't lie. Biggest population is China, India, and now Central Asia, Middle East, Northern Africa, yeah. right? The future is Asia and Africa. The future is Asia, Africa, and the Middle East. And this is where it's all going. It's the biggest consumer market. So if you're truly smart, and that's why Fast and Furious shot in Dubai. Why? Because it's the biggest franchise in human history, well, in Hollywood Mission history, Impossible. Mission Impossible, because they recognize our whole crew has to be international. That's why Fast and Furious is so popular, yes. because it has someone from every nationality in every continent, in every region represented yeah. from Vin Diesel to Michelle Rodriguez to Sun Kang, you know what I'm saying, to The Rock, you know, who's Samoan, you know, all these different nationalities becoming one. And that's what I see in Dubai is that you have the whole world here as one. 95% of the population here isn't from here, yeah. right? Yeah. They're from other countries and other nations, but they are here and they're all here with excitement yeah. and, and they're all here with with the dream yeah. that we can do something that's never been done before, yeah. right? And that to me is scary at the yeah. same time exciting, yeah. right? And so I look at this place as really like the new Tower of Babel, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But hopefully it's not humans trying to become God yeah. like themselves, but it's humans working together who work under God to go and bring the world together 100%. as one for peace, love, and unity. So that's it, and uh, one love. That's really amazing, Jason, because here we have something we call it like the butterfly effect, because we have 135 nationality living in one place. So imagine like one artist or like one project exposed to 125 nationality and spread it to their own family and friends and everything. You actually have the globe in one place. And the second thing is like we have one of the biggest airline around the world, so literally you don't need to look if there is flight today or not, you can fly to anywhere to the planet without thinking if there is flight today or not. That's right? right. And the third part, which is the most important right now, we are getting the biggest brand to the Middle East from WWE. Now we have UFC fighting here. So I think like this is where I want to ask you because right now Taylor as well uh, planning to do the Tyson fight, which is that's a huge esports game right now. So how we can bring this kind of experience like the 88? Rising festivals to here, and Twitter festival. How we can bring this experience to the region here as an entrepreneur? You, you got to make it happen, right? Okay. So that's what it's all about. It's about cross-cultural. It's about partnerships. It's about understanding. It's about seeing eye to eye, and it's about welcoming to learn from others. And so for me, all I want to do here is what can I bring that adds value to Dubai, yeah. right? Whether it's music, whether it's AI, social interactive technology, whether it's, you know, Hollywood films and, and original series and premium content. Yeah. Those are my experiences. But if you want that, how can I share that with you? Amazing. Right. And how can you share what you have with me yeah. and how we can truly bridge East and West to the Middle East and make this the future. Dubai is the future. EST East is the future. Yeah. And this is what we're talking about. So 100. Thank you so much, Jason, for this amazing conversations. 
we're gonna be the first to break the story of the launching of East platforms here in Dubai. So uh, we wish you all the best with the future ventures, and there is a lot of things gonna be doing together. 100, man. Thank, Thank you. you.